Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. We're, we're at the end of Mark 11. And while you're turning there, I just want to uh, mention what's been evident, I think, to all of us who've been sort of paying attention to some of the news is you see these power struggles, right, between uh, the White House and the state governors over, you know, what kind of um, businesses can we open and what's appropriate, you know, during this pandemic uh, for us to do, to restrictions to maintain and, and what liberties, you know, people can enjoy. Now it's even getting to the, you know, local levels. The governors and the mayors are starting to have these power struggles. And power struggles are nothing new. In fact, we're going to see this power struggle going on here between Jesus and this uh, ruling authoritative body called the Sanhedrin. So we're going to pick up right after Jesus has cleared the temple, uh, made a big scene, and, and we, we covered that last week, so you can listen in to that if you want more information about Jesus clearing the temple. But this is the aftermath, and so we're going to see these folks wrestle with Jesus' authority, Jesus' power. And so why don't we turn our attention to God's Word. I'm going to read verses 27 through 33. So they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, you know, they were afraid of the people, for they held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for your word, um, your authoritative word to us this morning. And we do pray that we would give our, uh, not only our ears and our minds, but our hearts, uh, your, uh, your proper place as the one who speaks to us words of truth. Lord, let us let us hear, let us listen, um, let us obey, uh, and let us glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so what we're going to do is, is look at this concept of authority. I want to talk about appealing to authority, uh, the, the difficulty of authority, sort of our suspicion of, of authority, but then how to balance authority and vulnerability. Uh, what, what, what those two things uh, are in relationship to one another. So we're going to begin with this appeal to authority. The, the Sanhedrin are claiming authority, uh, and Jesus is, is demonstrating authority. So what's, what's going on with that? You see in verse 27 this group of, uh, of authoritative people in ancient Judaism, the chief priests, uh, the scribes, and the elders. And they come to Jesus, and they represent the Sanhedrin. 
The Sanhedrin was basically the, the equivalent of the Jewish Supreme Court and the Senate, like wrapped up into one. Previously, you, you, you could have thrown the executive branch into there as well. Um, and yet Rome had pulled away and withdrawn the Sanhedrin's right and ability to execute um, capital punishment, right? So, so um, the execution of the law was left in Rome's hands, but you know, Jewish law and decisions and, and so on were up to the Sanhedrin. So they had a ton of authority. Uh, this 71-member court that met daily, with the exception of the Sabbath, in the Hall of Hewn Stones. It was along the, the northern wall of the temple. Uh, and so they particularly had authority within the temple. They were in charge of the temple, which was the, the epicenter of Jewish life. Um, re religious, civil, cultural, everything just flowed out of that, that epicenter of, of Jewish life. And so the Sanhedrin were in charge. Uh, they loved having authority. They, they were supposed to be the good guys, right? You were supposed to be able to trust them to have the interests of the people at heart. But what we see here is that they are very, very much into uh, maintaining their power, maintaining their authority, despite the cost. And then along comes Jesus. And um, so they ask Jesus this question, who gives you the right to, you know, where, what, where do you get your authority? And they want to they corner Jesus. And Jesus answers with his own question, right? I will ask you a question, answer me, and then I'll, I'll tell you, you know, by what authority I do these things. And uh, culturally, there's something really kind of fun and interesting happening here. This is a very Jewish encounter. Uh, in the Jewish community still today, it's, it's sort of um, typical that a Jewish person would answer a question with his own question. Uh, and, and that's culturally a, a lot of what's happening there. In, uh, in 1944, uh, the Nobel Prize winner in physics was a, a Jewish man named Isidore Rabi. And, uh, and when he was accepting his Nobel Prize in physics, he was telling the story about growing up and how uh, all the other children, you know, when they got home from school, their moms and dads would ask them, so, you know, son, so, you know, sweetheart, what did you, what did you learn at school today? Um, and, and that's kind of still a question <laughs> that I ask back when we had school. Um, and and his, Isidore Rabbi replied it was different in his home, in his Jewish home. Uh, he, he talked about how his mom would, uh, he would come in the door and she'd have, uh, you know, a snack for him. And she would say, Izzy, did you ask a good question today? That, 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 that's the cultural value in a lot of uh, Jewish communities still today. And it, and it was the same, you know, 2,000 years ago. Jesus, the Jewish man, fully God, fully man, but a Jewish person, is answering a question with a question. Uh, and the, the real question that Jesus is asking is, like, what authority do, do you have um, to the Sanhedrin? He's, he's replying and challenging their own authority based on their 
handling of a case that everybody knew, knew about, the, the case of John the Baptist. And we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But anyway, so in answer to the question about Jesus' authority, all we have to do is go back in the previous chapters of Mark and see all the ways that he was demonstrating his authority and the ways that people would respond to his authority. So back in chapter 1, Jesus is in the synagogue, and he's, he's in Capernaum, north of Jerusalem, and he's teaching. And the reaction is everybody is astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Like there's that distinction made. Later on in the same chapter, Jesus uh, performs an exorcism delivers a man from demonic power. And people see that, and they all were amazed. And they say, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Flip the page to chapter 2 in Mark's gospel. And you got the man in Capernaum who was uh, paralytic and his friends lower him through the roof, right? And Jesus doesn't heal him immediately. Instead, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Um, Is that really why they lowered him through the roof? Is that what they wanted? He's so desperate to have his sins forgiven? No. (laughs) But that's what Jesus leads with He declares this man's sins are forgiven, and that raises the hackles of all of the religious authorities who were on the scene because Jesus is this celebrity at this point. And there's this enormous crowd, and they hear Jesus declaring the forgiveness of sins, and they are wondering, even within their own minds, they're not speaking this audibly because we hear Mark tells us that Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking. But they're thinking to themselves, who is this? Who does he think he is? Nobody can forgive sins except God alone. And then Jesus says to them, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then turns to the paralytic whose sins he's just forgiven, but he hasn't healed yet. And then he says, I say to you, pick up your mat and and walk. And and the man was healed. So Jesus proves his authority spiritually by demonstrating his authority physically, right, over this man's illness. Uh, And it just goes on and on. Um, You got the scene of them in the boat, and the storm comes on the Sea of Galilee, and everybody's scared. They're going to die. These are seasoned professional fishermen, by the way, and they're panicked. They're they're, they're scared to death that this is going to be their last trip in a boat. And they wake Jesus up, and they say, don't you care that we're about to drown? And Jesus speaks peace. He says, be calm, be still, and immediately the, the storm is, is quiet. And then the disciples all were filled with fear. And they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this? So again and again and again, the people recognize the authority of Jesus. They bow to him. They're amazed and astonished. They're worshiping him. They're dropping everything to follow him. Except the Sanhedrin. 
they refuse to acknowledge the authority of Jesus. Their attitude is, who do you think you are? Who gives you the right? Who gives you the authority to clear this temple of which we are in charge? We're in charge here, not you, Jesus. You don't have the authority over us. You can't tell us what to do. Uh, And they're just being defiant. So, when it comes to authority, we've got a, we, we've got a complex relationship with authority in, in our own experience, right? Like authority is something that based on, um, frankly, your gender, uh, your skin color, your, your wealth, and even, you know, your family system, that will in many ways influence your relationship with authority, your opinion about authority. Authority is a, a complex thing. We, we live in a culture that's very suspicious of authority. Um, we see people abusing authority again and again and again, people who are you know, demonstrating their power in ways that are self-serving, who are using their influence to hold on to their authority, to hold on to their their power instead of serving those over whom, you know, they could influence for the better. Um, And so because we see so much abuse of authority, it's hard for us to trust authority sometimes. Uh, And the Sanhedrin's another example of this. That's an ancient example. It's just, this is just a, you know, timeless tale. It just kind of continues to loop every generation where authority uh, figures in our lives, and they can be, you know, very personal authority figures, or they could be, you know, very large authority figures when it comes to our communities or even our country. And if we see a, an abuse of authority, then we go, oh, you know, again and again and again, and it just makes us jaded. So it's it's hard. We, we people in authority and the Sanhedrin in particular are afraid of the people. Why are they afraid of the people? Because Actually, they don't want to lose their power. And it's only because the people recognize their power that they stay in power. And so they've got a kind of, they've got this tenuous relationship with the people. They influence the people. They've got control over the people, but the people have control over them too. It's like if if the people form a different opinion about the Sanhedrin, then the Sanhedrin will lose their influence. So it's complicated, as we said. And the Sanhedrin are, you know, seeing Jesus wielding all this authority, but they refuse to acknowledge it. They refuse to, to say and, and accept what's obvious. Uh, they see Jesus as a threat to their own authority. Uh, Jesus is influencing all these people, so they're losing influence. They don't want to follow Jesus. Jesus is, is taking away their authority, and so they resist him. Jesus is asking them about John the Baptist. Because Jesus knows two things about the relationship between John and the Sanhedrin, between John and those who were in power within Judaism. Um, so the first thing that Jesus knows about John, very obviously, is that John the Baptist was a prophet. And because he was a prophet, John spoke directly for God. Uh, He wasn't relying on any uh, human source to confer, you know, his 
his authority. God gave John the authority to say what he did and to do what he did um, through baptism and, and so on. Uh, and all the people recognized John's authority. That's why they went out to be baptized by him. So Jesus knew that John was a prophet and he had God's direct authority, didn't need man's authority. The other thing he knew is that the Jewish authorities, the leaders, the Sanhedrin, refused to listen to him. In fact, it was Pilate who was a you know, Jewish leader in a very sort of loose sense, who was sort of Jewish and you know, had a lot of Roman tendencies, uh, non-Jewish tendencies. Uh, he's the one that ordered John to be executed. Um, so did I say Pilate? I think I meant Herod. Herod. Um, anyway, so Jesus was basically the same, in the same role that John was in that Jesus spoke directly from God because he was God. You know, John said, I'm not even worthy to untie Jesus's, you know, shoes or, you know, tie his sandals uh, because John knew how much greater Jesus was. Jesus didn't just speak for God. He was God's word incarnate. He was the word of God himself. Jesus didn't just act on behalf of God. Jesus is God among us, acting and demonstrating uh, the nature and the character of God. So after Jesus quizzes them, sort of asks them his question, answer me this, and then I'll, I'll give you an answer about my authority. What do you think about John? And then the, the you know, Sanhedrin, picking up in verse 31, they're discussing it with each other, and they go, well, if we acknowledge that John's baptism was from heaven, then we've got to say that we were wrong. Well, we can't do that. You know, we can't admit that we made a mistake. We can't say that we, we were, you know, arrogant and prideful. Uh, but if we say that it wasn't from heaven, then, you know, the people all believe that John was God's prophet, and then they'll turn against us. And so they're cornered. They're in this catch-22. It's a brilliant question by Jesus. He knows exactly, you know, how to play this game. Uh, and so the, the Sanhedrin are evasive. They decide, we're just going to tell Jesus we don't know. They take the agnostic approach. They do know. They do know. They're just refusing to acknowledge Jesus' authority because they're going to refuse to acknowledge his question. They won't answer it. So they say, we do not know. Um, and what they really mean is they... <laughs> They refuse to know. They refuse to follow Jesus. They refuse to acknowledge his authority. They want to consign Jesus to the, this category of, you know, um, a rebel, a leader, and an upstart, and, you know, somebody. Uh, we don't do that so much anymore if you fast forward, you know, 2,000 years to our age. What we have instead are people that are very willing to consign Jesus to uh, a more respectable category, like a religious leader or a, a, a moral example, um, something like that. But nonetheless, they still refuse to acknowledge his authority. Um, they'll, they'll treat him with dignity and, and put him in this camp where they have other religious leaders. But Jesus, don't tell me what to do. You don't have the right in my life to call the shots. I do. You know, we all want to be our own authority. We all want to be our own king, our own royalty, um, and we don't want to leave that to Jesus. So uh, they didn't want 
Jesus to tell them what to do. Uh, a lot of people today don't want uh, Jesus to tell them what to do. And I guess maybe it's an appropriate point at the, uh, right now to just say, how about us? Like, are we letting Jesus tell us what to do? Are we acknowledging his authority? Does Jesus have the right to tell you what to do? Is he king in your life? Is he the Lord? that you bow to? Do you submit to his words? Do you do life according to his plan or, or do we do life according to our plan? We, can, we, we can't really give Jesus authority. It's not ours to give. It comes from God. Jesus is God. All we can do is either acknowledge his authority or refuse it. You don't give it to him. You either acknowledge it or you refuse it. And so, something to think about. All right. So, you know, you've got this abuse of authority that makes us all, you know, have this complex relationship with it. But maybe, maybe what we need to think about is how do we embrace authority in a way that is consistent with the kingdom of God? You know, we struggle with this concept. If we don't like authority, if we've had a bad experience with authority, um, we have to consider our options. Uh, what's the opposite of authority? I don't want authority in my life, so what's the opposite? Well, maybe there are opposites. You can have anarchy. I don't know, that doesn't sound too good. Or vulnerability. That doesn't immediately appeal to us either, right? Vulnerability feels like weakness. Vulnerable people get taken advantage of. Vulnerable people get abused. Vulnerable people can't stand up for themselves. Vulnerable people don't have any power, don't have any influence. And so who wants to be vulnerable? I mean, around friends, good. It's good to let down. It's good to say, I need help, but who wants to be vulnerable on a broad scale, like all the time? And so we've got these, you know, complex options, authority or, or vulnerability. But I want you to know that somebody always has power. Regardless of whether we want to acknowledge it or not, there's always somebody who has influence in, in a community. It can be a small community of two people. It can be a large community like a country. Somebody's always got power. So, you know, the person who's, uh, I remember, you know, <laughs> we used to joke um, in, in seminary, I had a field education, you know, you have to take a certain number of hours to to kind of go out and, you know, get your on-the-job training. And I was a chaplain assistant at uh, Florida Altamont Hospital. And uh, we would kind of laugh about how all you really need is a lab coat and a clipboard. You can get into any place that you want in this hospital. If you look like you have authority, you have authority. Carry a clipboard. If you carry a badge. If you carry a gun. If you carry a, a megaphone. You, you have influence over people. That gives you authority. But... We recognize those things, but it's, it's more than that. Everybody has some kind of influence. You have influence and power and, and authority, even if you just have kindness and patience. Your smile can be very powerful and influential. 
if you have a diploma, uh, if you have wisdom, perseverance can all be forms of, of power and influence over others. Uh, even, I mean, it's, it's kind of dumb, but even height. I don't know if my head's still in the frame or not, but I'm going to, I'll sit down. I'm six foot four. I'm, I'm a six foot four white male with a postgraduate degree. I have influence in this culture. You know, that they've actually even done a study. Uh, the, in a presidential election, when it's down to the last two uh, candidates, uh, overwhelmingly the taller candidate wins the election. Look, you can't not have influence. You can't not have power. You can't not have authority. Like, I get it. Some people have more influence and more power than others, but everybody has power. The question is, how will you use it? Power is a gift. Authority is a gift from God. It comes from him. It, I don't know if that scares you or not, but it's power is not for the power hungry only. Power is for everyone, and the real choice is are we going to use our power to preserve our power, or are we going to use our power to empower uh, those around us, to bless them, to lift up the vulnerable, to care for others, to, to serve instead of be served, right? That is the real use of power. Consider this, 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, do you not know that you are to judge the angels? That's our destiny. And we will be co-regents with Jesus. We will reign with him in some mysterious way that will yet be revealed to us. He'll share his rule and authority with us. We'll judge the angels. If you're in Christ, that, that power belongs to you. Probably familiar with Psalm 8, right? What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man uh, that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. God made us a little lower than the angels in terms of glory and crowned us with glory and honor. You have given us dominion over the works of your hands. You have uh, put all things under our feet. Authority is a gift. Authority is something we are to embrace as given to us from God in order to bless those around us. I know it's complicated, and I know that we've got a lot of different relationships with authority in our lives, but it is a gift from God. So let's kind of head home by talking about the dynamics of authority and vulnerability. So there's a book that I just got done reading. Fantastic. I'll recommend it to you. Andy Crouch used to be the executive editor at Christianity Today, and he wrote, uh, wrote a number of books, but this is called Strong and Weak. And he talks about the dynamics between authority and vulnerability. You know, like we're, we're suspicious of strength, but we don't want to be weak. But the truth is we need both. We need both in order to be disciples, and we need both in order actually to be God's image bearers. 
in order to be God's faithful image bearers, we need to embrace not only our authority, but also vulnerability. Why, why, do we do, why do we say that? Well, because they're not opposites. We tend to think that, well, I've either got to be the strong person or I'm going to be the weak person. If I'm, if I'm the weak person, I can't be strong. No, we need to be strong and weak. Uh, Andy Crouch does a great job of just demonstrating those aren't opposites. They're complements. And, and we need to embody both because Jesus shows us how to use our authority well by practicing vulnerability. So John 13, um, you know, we're still living in the shadow of the resurrection, or the, we should say the light of the resurrection. Um, so let's remember uh, Passover week. And Jesus, it's the night of his betrayal. They're in the upper room and they're celebrating the Passover feast, right? And Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. John tells us this, that the evening meal was just getting started, and Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, like phenomenal cosmic power. Um, and God put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God, dot, dot, dot. Many of you know what happens next, but some of you may be new to the Bible, you're new to church, you're, you're new to this live stream, we're glad you're here how would you finish that scene? Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. What would Jesus do next? Well, we might expect somebody else in Jesus' situation to demonstrate that power, right? To, to flex a little bit, to show off, start ordering people around, telling people what to do. You know, I've got power here and, you know, I'm going to start using it. Here's what Jesus does next. So he got up from the meal and took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus washed their feet. He washed their feet. And because it's so familiar to us, I'm going to say it again. He washed their feet. He took the posture of a domestic servant. He who had all power washed their feet. And he was only getting started demonstrating his authority through this continuing descending staircase of vulnerability and weakness. So it's after the meal, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's arrested, and Peter lashes out with his sword, thinking, I know what I'll do. I'll, de I'll defend Jesus. I'm going to use my power to defend the one who's, you know, who's suffering injustice. Seems like a good idea. Except Jesus says, put your sword back in its place. Do you think I cannot call on my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus is very much aware 
of the power that's at his disposal. A legion is like 3,000 to 6,000 soldiers each. 12 legions of angels can be up to 72,000 angels who would just wipe out all of this you know, mob and the delegation from the Sanhedrin who have come to arrest Jesus. But Jesus chooses vulnerability. And he just continues. It continues. On trial before Pilate, Jesus submits to the lesser, even the corrupt authority of Pilate. The same one who, you know, was in charge of the Sanhedrin, who, you know, is suspicious of Jesus and, you know, isn't recognizing his authority. And Pilate says to him, will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you or, and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. And then Jesus submits to the ultimate invulnerability. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And that's how Jesus uses his authority. He doesn't use his authority to preserve his power. He doesn't use his authority to preserve his position. He doesn't use his authority to serve himself. He doesn't use his authority to, to, to suppress the weak. He uses his authority by being vulnerable in such a way that he lifts up the weak. He uses his authority to empower those who have no power. He uses his authority to serve those who are defenseless and helpless. You know, we who are dead in our sins and our trespasses, there's nobody more helpless than somebody who's dead. Jesus doesn't use his authority again to preserve his, his, his power. He gives away his power. He gives it up. He gives himself over to death. And he did this for, you know, obviously his, his disciples, uh, who he, even though they had abandoned him. They weren't using their influence to defend him, you know, uh, except, you know, maybe Peter with his sword. But even after that, Peter denies him. He doesn't defend him. And Jesus died for his disciples. Furthermore, Jesus died for his enemies, even for those who were using their power to destroy him. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And ultimately, he gave up his power and embraced that vulnerability for us. For you and I, who, as much as we idealize, you know, the good leader, the one who uses his or her power and influence to bless others, as much as we, we, we like that idea, you and I are all guilty of using our power, using our influence, our authority to serve ourselves, to bless ourselves, even if it means suppressing the vulnerable and the weak around us. We do it every time we choose selfishness. We do it every time our actions mean that others have to serve us or suffer because of us. 
Sometimes it's unconscious, but other times it's deliberate. We're all guilty of this. And Jesus laid down his authority and embraced vulnerability for us. It took a tremendous amount of strength and power to say yes to the cross. He used his power to bless us. And it takes a tremendous amount of power and strength for us to humble ourselves and confess our sins. It takes power over pride. And it takes strength over our sinful nature that wants to defend ourselves and say, no, you know, it's not my fault, or you wouldn't, I have an excuse. So to confess our sins takes power, takes strength. And that's our proper response to the power and strength of Jesus embracing his vulnerability, for us to embrace our vulnerability and say, I need help. I need a savior. I need to be saved from my abuse of power so that I can properly embody the power and the authority that God's given me to bless others. As I respond to the gospel, as I see Jesus doing what he did, I want to embody that. And we can only live out of that power as we see Jesus doing that. So this way that Jesus embodies authority and vulnerability changes the way that we view authority, our own authority and vulnerability, right? So does this have implications for, you know, those of us who may be even suspicious of authority? I don't want authority. I want to just, you know, push that away. Well, you can't push it away because it's a gift. Use it to bless others. Use your authority in ways that will lift others up. And as we see Jesus with this, you know, beautiful mix of authority and vulnerability, how does it teach us to view the vulnerable? How can I use my power, my influence? You know, maybe it's big, maybe it's small. Nonetheless, it's there. How can I do that to respond to the, those who are vulnerable around me? Uh, Andy Crouch, again, uh, he writes that leadership begins the moment that you are more concerned about others flourishing than you are about your own. He says that's what leadership is. Well, I would say that's just what discipleship is. Discipleship is, begins the moment that you are more concerned about others flourishing than you are about your own, that you want to be a blessing. You want to be God's agent. Just as he's blessed you, I want to be that same influence in other people's lives. Again and again, you know, we see authority and vulnerability in the life of Jesus are not opposite, they're complementary, and they need to be complementary in, in our lives. So we look at the beauty and the mystery of Jesus, who's this lion of Judah and the lamb of God, as we, as we look at the end of the Bible. And John, in his revelation, says that the elders said to me, weep no more, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. He's got all this power and authority, he can do what nobody else can do. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. The angel says, behold the lion. And I look, and it's a lamb. Slain and vulnerable. You know, we have this thinking that we, we think that there's this commensurate 
authority with no vulnerability. That's the only way that you can really be authoritative is not have any vulnerability. Well, that's either predictable, uh, you know, if you think that's the reason why Captain Marvel among the Marvel movies was just like, this feels flat because she has no kryptonite. Commensurate authority, but no vulnerability. You know, it's either predictable or it's despotic. And you see that with every evil regime that's ever marched across this planet. And then you, you, we think of vulnerability, and you think, well, you know, vulnerability, how can that be good? Uh, well, it's either laughable, you know, you see the vulnerability of those on America's Funniest Home Videos, and we, we go, ha, 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 or it's pitiable. And we feel helpless to help those who are completely helpless. Jonathan Edwards says that there's this admirable conjunction or meeting of diverse and paradoxical elements in the person of Jesus Christ, the lion and the lamb. Jesus beautifully combines authority and vulnerability. This is why heaven worships him. And this is why we worship him. I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures, and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying in a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Let's pray. Lord, who would have thought that authority and vulnerability really could coexist and really could be beautifully embodied. And, and yet we see Jesus who had all power over all things and yet washes our feet and says no to delivering himself so that he could deliver us. And we worship him. We worship the, the lamb who was slain, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And we pray that you would um, so change us through this gospel that we would become the men and the women and the children uh, who would use whatever influence and whatever power, whatever authority we have uh, to bless those around us and to lift them up and to empower them as well. Well, we pray for uh, a number of our tabernacle family, and we specifically want to remember Dean and Mary Beth Hill this morning.